0: about the fourth row back on, on this one side. But it is good to be with you in the light of day as well. And I thank Jay for allowing me to share one of the messages in this series, Life's Healing Choices. These are all kind of based upon a book that you can still find copies of these on in the Soul Cafe. We're just kind of supplementing this book on Life's Healing Choices. Now, when he asked me to step in... He also threw me a curve. Not only of you paid attention, but in this series so far, Jay has only preached on one verse every Sunday. He gave me two, and he didn't even give me two that were close together, like verses five and six. He gave me verses seven and nine, skipping eight, and said, "See if you can figure out how to get them to both work together." Now, let me give you a little review of where we've been. This is uh, since I was six weeks Choice number one the first week was called the reality choice, which is just realizing that we are a mess. Uh, we're sinful human beings. and I mean, we're just broken. There's, just, there's not much more we can say about it. And, and so we need a Savior. And choice number two is the hope choice. We're kind of like that old hymn of the church. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God. That's my only hope to make it through. My only hope for healing. In week three was the commitment choice, where I'm going to dedicate my life, much like that, that young boy you just saw in baptism, or all the baptism of the day. You know, Christ is the one I believe in, I trust in Him, I love Him, I'm going to follow Him the rest of my day, I'm going to make a sold-out commitment. And then comes the house cleaning choice, which means I'm going to kind of clean up my act. And through the power of the Spirit living in us, that's exactly what we do. We start getting rid of stuff that doesn't really belong, in a Christ follower's life, and that led us up to last week where Jay talked about the transformation choice where we just start to become different people. We're not the same people we were before Jesus entered our life. Now, with that little bit of introduction, let's pray. I'm going to use it a prayer from the Old Testament, Book of Psalms. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight for you, O oh Lord, are our, our rock and our redeemer amen now i've got choice number six and you can see it's called the relationship choice and and what this relationship choice is all about is learning to forgive you notice it says offering forgiveness to those who have hurt me anybody here ever had somebody hurt you anybody ever been hurt sure you have okay have, have any of you ever hurt anybody else well, not him, of course, but, you know, every, everybody else, huh? Uh, it says, I'm going to offer forgiveness to those who hurt me, and we all got those folks, and I am going to make amends, it says, for harm I've done to others. But then there's a little caveat at the end of this, because it says, except when to do so would harm them or others. And I'm not going to do much with the end part of this, other than to say that there there sometimes comes a point in your relationships that to go back and to offer forgiveness or to seek forgiveness may create more problems than necessary. That may be a point in life where you just plain and simple to learn to build a bridge, get over it, move on, leave it in God's hands. Now, I've got a couple of Bible passages today, the they come from the longest sermon that Jesus ever preached. the The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, this section called the Beatitudes. Or I call them the be attitudes. These are attitudes that ought to be in our lives. And there are two of them. Verse 7, which says, Happy are those who are merciful to others, and verse 9 that says, Happy are those who work for peace. Now, anybody here today want to be happy? You know you don't want to sit around and look like you've been baptized in vinegar. Uh, you you want to grow up and you want to be happy and want to have productive lives. Our problem then is how we work together, mercy and peacemaking. And I was kidding Jay when I, he said, I want you to just work things together. I said, I have a feeling what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk up on the platform, say, uh, hi, good to be back with you. Uh, learn to be merciful and that'll help you be real peacemakers and then just go home. And Jay gave, gave me a less than merciful peacemaking look. Because uh, I think he expected me to fill some time. But, Since I have thought, I'm going to start with calling this a boomerang blessing. You all know what a boomerang is. It's kind of auspices the thing where the aborigines throw it and it comes back. Well, this is a boomerang blessing in this, that you're going to be happy many times over when you show mercy to other people because that mercy ultimately comes back to you. And as you pass mercy on again to other people, it ultimately comes back to you. So it finally gets to be the process where it's pretty easy to extend mercy to all kinds of people, and then you're going to completely to surprised that God continually shows mercy to you. But first we need to really understand what mercy is all about. It says, Happy are the merciful. Let me tell you a few things mercy is not. Mercy is not some silly, sappy sympathy that you have towards other people. It's not feeling sorry for somebody else. Uh, sympathetic. I mean, those are good qualities, but they don't even begin to get at the depth that Jesus is talking about. For example, in James 2 it says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? He says, So if you see somebody in need, and you just kind of go, (laughs) Have a nice day, and you walk on, what good is that? Well, mercy is also not helpful deeds. Even though being kind to other people is also very biblical, again, it doesn't get down to that true meaning. But maybe mercy means justice. Well, no, it doesn't. Even though in legal circles we sometimes talk about throwing ourselves on what? The mercy of the court. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I happened to be going uh, past Birdville High School at an inopportune time, uh, going at a slightly above average uh, speed. And uh, this man on a motorcycle with these funny lights pulled me over and told me I was speeding in a school zone. Well, I really wanted to argue about that. I was debating how I could fight this thing. I wanted to go and throw myself on the mercy of the court until I found out that mercy was $250, no matter what I did. (laughs) But see, sometimes we say throw ourselves on the mercy of the court because we're hoping to get a lesser punishment. But this is really not about this either. This does not even give us the depth of mercy. That's why you all read your Greek Testaments with regularity, correct? Because if you read your Greek New Testaments, you know what that word mercy is. is elios. If we were going to spell it out phonetically, E-L-E-O-S. Elios, and it means to wash over. It has kind of the context of whitewashing. and Maybe some of you remember, Jesus made a comment one time about the Pharisees. He said they're like whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but they're full of death on the inside. It has to do with, like, wiping out an impurity or canceling a debt. So, mercy goes beyond sympathy to empathy. It is love in action. It is forgiving and being forgiven. Elio says we are to be a forgiving group of people. But it goes beyond just... Uh, Accepting forgiveness, which we all like. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'd really like to apologize, you're going to go, yeah, bring it on. But see, it also goes the other way when you have to go to somebody else and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I need to have you forgive me. That's kind of tough, but we are called to repair relationships. We're choosing to be healed. Now, mercy's clearest definition in the Bible, I would spell it J-E-S-U-S, is Jesus our Lord didn't just sit up and have it, passively say, say, uh, okay, okay, whoever believes in me, I'll forgive him. He didn't even say in, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in his son will have everlasting life. Actually, what Jesus said was, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Isn't that the word there? Gave or, or sent his only son. So in 1 John, why did he send him? First John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might actually have life. And this is what love is all about. He said, not that we love God, but that He loved us and His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, by His action, His Elios, He whitewashed our sins with His blood. Now, anybody here have a Facebook page? Got a Facebook page? It's got all sorts of wonderful, useful information on it, doesn't it? It's a, it's a fount of who knows what. And I got one. I saw something this last week on Facebook that actually made sense, and I copied it down. It said this, only in Jesus can you wash your clothes in red, and they come out white. That's the best thing that's been on Facebook since they started it. Now, how am I going to practically apply this to my life? Well, I'm going to give you a few if I'm merciful, what does this look like statements. Here's number one. If I'm merciful, I'm going to be patient with the unique. You know, you plug in whatever word you want there. That, that that's my politically correct one. You know, what do you do? you gotta show mercy to the different, the oddball, the people that are different. You know, but what do you do if they're not only just unique but they're also offensive? Well, I think the best way to realize that is that most people who are a little bit different, who are a little bubble left of being completely level, generally have something going on in the inside. Now, I started out my life as a teacher, and so for the first 18 years, a lot of it spent teaching in high school, coaching basketball in high school and college. I had a lot of students that teachers say, the students acted out. You ever heard that before? He's always acting out. He's always acting out. But what I came to understand in teaching was this, that sometimes people who are acting out all the time it's because of what's going on inside of them. There's an internal hurt. And usually behind every peculiar or unique action, there's a need for attention. And maybe it's caused by loneliness or it's caused by hurt or depression or whatever. That's why Paul told the Thessalonians, encourage timid people. Help weak people. Be patient with everyone. So merciful people are accepting people. We are not quick to criticize or judge. Now here's the second one. If I'm merciful, I will forgive those who have fallen. Now you might want to ask yourself, when somebody makes a mistake, put this in the context of your own home, your own family. Somebody makes a mistake, are you more prone to rub it in Or rub it out. See, it's an interesting thing again about forgiveness, isn't it? When you're called to receive it, it is so easy. But when you're called to give forgiveness, it feels so hard because we're not necessarily going to operate with mercy. We're going to deal with justice. Swift justice. Now, how often do you need to do this? This is always the bottom line. If I'm supposed to be a merciful person, how many times do I need to be merciful to a person before I just kind of Cut him off and say, hit the road, Jack. Well, that's actually what Peter was contemplating in Matthew 18. Jesus had just finished uh, talking about how to handle personal relationships. And in verse 18, 15 to 18 of that chapter, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, if somebody sins against you, first you go to them. Did you get that? When somebody sins against you, you first go. Now, that is very counter-cultural, let me tell you. You hear that and you're kind of going, What? I have to go to the person who hurt me? I mean, no way. That person ought to be crawling on their hands and knees through the gravel and cut glass and barbed wire. They ought to beg me to forgive them. Why should I ever initiate anything? You want the answer to that? Because Jesus said so. Jesus said so. If someone harms you in any way, you make the first step. You go to them. Now, after this discussion, Peter says, Well, okay, Jesus, okay, I understand. Next time somebody bothers me, next time Andrew uses my fishing pole without telling me and doesn't put it back where it belongs, I'll go. I'll go. But how many times do I need to go? Because Jesus, you know, the rabbis say, we only need to do this three times. And they say that once you get to the fourth, you don't have to do it anymore. He but how about, Jesus, how about if I try seven times? That's not a good number. And Jesus says, no, not seven. Seven times 70. Now, some people think, well, Jesus is talking quantity. And you, you walk around with a little clicker? You know, i got a problem with this guy. I go and I talk in, and I say, okay, Fifty-three, <laughs> and he's still being a jerk. I'm uh, eighty-five, <laughs> and I come, I'm up to corner. I'm four, four, thirty-five. I only got about sixty-five more, and i cut you off. He's not talking quantity. He used a number that the disciples would have understood as infinite. Peter clearly understood that a merciful person does not limit the times that he or she forgives. And that doesn't just apply to those people who sinned against you. But it also applies to you who sinned against other people where you may need to go and ask for it. But when you go, like Paul told the Colossians, be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Maybe another way of putting this, friends, is merciful people do not point the finger. They extend a hand a whole lot different. Here's number three. If I'm a merciful person, I'm going to help those who are hurting. I have no doubt that in the five services I preach this weekend that there are hurting people here. There are probably people right now in the midst of feeling, that feeling hurt through and through. I know because I've talked to some over the weekend. They've been hurt repeatedly, much like Karen you saw on the video before. There are people who may be in the process of hurting others and are just really need of mercy and grace and forgiveness. See, mercy is practical assistance. It's love in action. When we don't feel sorry for someone, but we have the power to help them, we're not being Christ-like. I don't know about you, but sometimes verses like 1 John stab me in the heart. It says, suppose a person had enough to live on and notices another need. How can God's love be in that person if he doesn't bother to help We need to show love through action and not just empty words. Now, Proverbs says, Do not withhold good from those who need it when it's in your power to act. Some of you know who John Wesley is. Uh, John Wesley was the man who's credited for starting the Methodist Church. And he and his brother Charles together wrote, I don't know, thousands of hymns that are sung in churches all across the world today. Uh, John had a motto that he kept, and his motto was, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. Pretty good advice. Here's number four. If I'm merciful, I'm good to, uh-oh, my enemies. Do you ever run across a Bible passage you wish you could skip? I had an old elder, he was an old uh, rancher in my church in Texarkana, his name is Tommy. Tommy used to come up to me every once in a while, he say, Doc, normally you're preaching, but today you're meddling. <laughs> you ever have the Bible do that to you? Oh, well, God, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah, bring it on. Bring... Ooh, ooh. <laughs> now you're meddling, God. You're meddling in my life. I'm going to move over to Habakkuk for a while okay, and read there. <laughs> but again, we can't do it. Why? Because Jesus said it. Besides, it's in the Bible. In Luke chapter 6, it said, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that kind of stuff. But it ends up by saying, be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Now, my grandson happens to be here this morning. He may not remember this, but when he was about 10 or 11 when they first moved down here to the Metroplex. We were driving one day, and we pulled up to a stoplight. I stopped, and my grandson says, Grandpa, don't hit that truck in front of you. I wasn't planning to. <laughs> he said, No, don't hit that truck in front of you. And I looked, and there's a truck, and I noticed a gun rack in the window. And I said, What? He said, No, the bumper sticker. And I looked at the bumper sticker, and you can all finish this. I don't get mad, I get even. See, that's the way the world works. Our job is, not only are we to forgive, we are to establish peace. We're the people who ought to be patient with the peculiar. Forgiving of the fallen. Helpful to the hurting. Good to people who hurt us. Now, when people tell me this is what I ought to do, I always kind of want to know why. What's my motivation here? Well, let me give you three quick motivators. Two you'll like, and one you're going to tell me I'm meddling again. But number one is because God is merciful to me. I think by by far and away, that's the best reason to be merciful, because God is merciful to me. Now, there are going to be people who mistreat you in this life. There are going to be people who owe you, won't pay you back. There are people in this world who are absolutely, positively, 100% pure jerks. And don't bother to look for them. They're all over the place. You know it's true. But friends, when people are jerking you around, and you're having a hard time dealing with them, remember the times that you jerked around God. You ever knew that? Jerk around God? Oh, when I was younger, I used to try to sin real fast so I could slip them by with God. I actually had a friend in high school who said he only sinned at night when God was asleep. <laughs> Just remember all those, those times we've done things our own way where we actually knew what God wanted us to do, but we chose to do what we darn well pleased. Or just think about all the dumb stunts that you've ever pulled, all the ways you've sinned, and guess what? God's mercies are still new every morning. That's what it says in Lamentation. God still loves, God still forgives, God still empowers us. That's one motivation. We do it because God does it. There's a the second reason, and this is the second motivation. It's because we're going to need it. We're going to need mercy in the future. Believe me, I need mercy for my past. And I know I'm not going to be perfect until the day that Jesus calls me home to heaven. I need that mercy. Didn't we just sing that right before the message? Lord, I need you. I need it. James 2.13, no mercy will be shown to those who have not been merciful. So I'm going to need it, so I need to learn to give it. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, it's what we need. And Jesus said, guess what? You want to get happy? Happy are the merciful. Because just like a boomerang, they're going to receive it. Here's the third one. This is one of the other ones where we kind of like skip some time. It's this. If you're not merciful, you're not going to receive any mercy. That's pretty sobering. Another way to put it would be Jesus saying the unforgiving are the unforgiven. For the Lord's Prayer. Remember ever praying the Lord's Prayer? And it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Actually, literally, it's, Lord, help us to forgive others in the same manner in which, forgive us in the same manner in which we forgive others. See, if you're not merciful, you're not going to get it. I was at a conference a number of years ago, Bill Hybels, who's the pastor of the largest churches in America, he said something that really struck me. He said, there's a lot of things that really, really matter to God. He said, one of them is this. If lost people matter to God, they better matter to us. And I went, wow. Now I'm going to do it another way. If mercy and extending mercy is important to God, it ought to be important to us. Because when we're merciful, we're able to extend it. We're actually able to forgive ourselves. And when we do this, we extend we mercy. We start building peace with people. We also need to understand there are about three different kinds of people in this world. Peacebreakers, peacemakers, and peacemakers. I think you all kind of know the difference. Let's talk about peacebreakers. These are people who go out of their way to make your life miserable. I call them joy suckers. You, you, know, you don't have to think about it. You, probably, you know some people like this.
1: They could suck the joy
0: out of your life from 100 yards. You turn around and you look at it and it's just like... <sighs> all the joy is just sucked out of you. There's something about these people who want to argue all the time. They have a chip on their shoulder all the time. They just disagree just to disagree. And guess what? God doesn't say kindly to those folks either. In Proverbs it says, Troublemakers start fights, gossips break up friendships. And guess what? There's another verse... I found a little bit further, it said actually in Proverbs 22.10, it's not on your message guide or anything, but it says, kick out the troublemakers and things will quiet down. Now before you take that verse and go on a witch hunt, remember, uh, you all have bad days too from time to time. We need to examine our own hearts. Are we the kind of people who are peace breakers? But see, there's the second one, these are peace fakers. And a peace faker will go to any lengths to avoid an argument. They don't want to make anybody mad. They don't want to make anybody sad. They want everybody to be divided. In, in so doing, they settle for kind of a counterfeit peace, avoiding the real issues. You know, sometimes when you are called upon to speak the truth to another person, I think the devil will whisper in your ear, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't rock the boat. Don't upset the apple cart. Maintain the status quo. But Paul in Ephesians said, no, tell your neighbors the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, when you lie, you end up lying to yourself. So people do not fake peace at the expense of truth. Seek peace for one another. And what brings now is an overflow of mercy. Well, let's look at the peacemakers, because that's what we really want to be. Peacemakers know mercy and peace. Peacemakers actually receive mercy and peace. Peacemakers actually know how to extend mercy and peace. They're very different people. In fact, I'll tell you that an honest-to-goodness peacemaker is really weird. Remember that message series not too long ago, how we're all weird? You all want to be weird? Be a peacemaker. Well, how do you be a peacemaker? Four quick things. One, You pay attention to what you say. Peacemakers tell the truth and they trust God to work through that truth. The writer of Proverbs said, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We need to learn to speak the truth, but we need to do it gently and speak it in love. Peacemakers also, second, attack the problem and not the person. After teaching in Hong Kong for three years, I came back to take a job as athletic director and basketball coach teacher at a high school up in the Chicago area and at our first faculty meeting one of the teachers recommended some program for the students and before I could uh, clamp my mouth shut I said that's the stupidest idea I have ever heard and he looked at me and he said who are you calling stupid now guess what I was not calling him stupid some people cannot separate the two the idea was dumb I was not calling him dumb well, come to think of it. No, I... <laughs> but you can't fix the problem if you're always focused on blaming at the same time. I mean, if you think you're a peacemaker today and you're still always blaming other people, you're probably a peace breaker, or maybe even a peace faker. Paul tells the Ephesians, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Just as it Christ, God Christ forgave you. See, if you're trying, you're still hanging on the blame, you're going to remain bitter. And what like they say, as long as you're bitter, you'll never get better. Third thing is peacemakers cooperate as much as possible. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, on your part, on your part. That means you need to take the first step because peace often has a price. It means giving up your self-centeredness. It gives up your your selfishness, your self-inflated ego. It's letting go and letting God take control of these situations. And these are very difficult for us to do. The fourth thing, very simply, is peacemakers recognize relationships above resolution. I don't know if you ever notice that people are different. You ever notice people are different? Do you know men and women are different? Let me give you an example. On the average, a man will speak about 15,000 words a day. On the other hand, a woman will speak 27,000 words a day, with gusts up to forty or 50,000. <laughs> now, what happens is the man goes to work, and he deals with people all day long, and by the time he's come home, he's used up about 14,085 of these. He's got nothing left to say. The wife, on the other hand, she's been home. She's not had much interaction with any. She's still got another twenty-seven to thirty thousand words left. And so this is what happens: you walk into the house, and she says, "Oh, how was your day, honey?" He goes, "Okay. What's that latest project you're working on? I mean, how's that all functioning?" Fine. Uh, what would you like for supper? No, whatever. You see, the man's brain is gone. His Words are used up so the conversation gets going, well, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? You want to go out to eat? I don't care where you want to go out. You want to order pizza? Yeah, I know, whatever. And see, then they can't even make up their mind on the pizza. They just order cheese. Now, I, I, I just tell you that because, to point out, we're all different, and we don't always see eye to eye. And maybe I was just describing to you a conversation my wife and I usually have. But guess what? We may not always see eye to eye, but we always walk hand in hand. 2 Corinthians says to look inside people. And notice what God is doing. Now how can you be a peacemaker? Well, I'm going to tell you very simply, you need to know the Prince of Peace. Do you know the Prince of Peace? That's Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you trust in Him, you believe in Him, you have faith in Him, you've got the ability within you to not only extend mercy, but to be a peacemaker. In Matthew chapter 8, there's a story about a storm that breaks out. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. big storm. The the, the disciples, who are really sailors at heart, say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And what does Jesus do? He gets up, stands in front of the boat, says, peace be still. And just like that, there was a great calm. See, Jesus is the classic peacemaker. Where there's a storm, what does he do in your life? Creates calm. Where there's chaos, he puts it back in order. Where there's bitterness and strife, he establishes peace because he is the Prince of Peace. He's called us to be peacemakers as well. That's why he says, happy are those who are peacemakers. Happy are those people who extend mercy because they'll be called sons and daughters of God. Now this last Tuesday, I was home working on my message. And I uh, was listening to watching the Northern Illinois Toledo football game. And I heard a couple of phrases that I, I wrote them down. And one of them was, hold it high and tight. The other one was, don't drop the rock. Now, in football, you know what that means? Hold it high and tight. That's how you're taught to hold the football. You hold it high and tight. You don't want anybody else to get in there. You don't want anybody else to do anything with it. The second part of it, it says, don't drop the rock. You know what that means? Don't fumble. It's kind of my idea that many of us have been been holding problems high and tight. We've been holding a lack of forgiveness or an unforgiving spirit in some places. And we're still holding on to it. When Jesus said, no, we ought to show mercy. Maybe it's time for you to drop the rock. As Rob and the Praise Team sing a song, Forgiveness, now, I want you to focus on the words. Hold that rock in your hand, and if there's someone you need to release, if there's some point of forgiveness, if there's some point of healing that needs to be done, kind of figuratively write it on this rock. And when you leave today, drop the rock in the seat. Just leave it. Move on.